Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. Welcome to episode 159 of the Garden DC podcast. In this episode, we chat with Kamani Anku, founder of Gardening and Beats, about making herbal mocktails, cocktails, and other garden-inspired libations. The plant profile is on Shasta Daisy, and we share what's going on in the garden as well as some upcoming local gardening events in the What's New segment. We close out with garden designer and host of Better Lawns and Gardens, Teresa Watkins, who shares the last word on growing houseplants anywhere. This episode, we're joined by Kamani Anku. He is the founder of Gardening and Beats. Welcome, Kamani. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's great to have you with us, finally, so we can talk mocktails and cocktails and other concoctions in this hot summer weather. Um, So this will be a nice, refreshing episode. Yes. And I'm ready. (laughs) All right. Uh, So before we dive into all those libations and recipes, let's talk a little bit about you and your background. So we recently profiled you in Washington Gardener Magazine in the July 2023 issue. And so people can read a bit more about that. But for those listeners who want to learn about you on the recording, let's dial it back all the way to baby Kamani and ask if you were born with chlorophyll in your veins and or a green thumb. I would say I was probably born with chlorophyll in my veins. I just didn't know it (laughs) (laughs) until later on in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. So did you have other gardeners in your household or your family that you were gardening with, or did you come to it later? I came to it later, but then my mom was my my hero. She's my gardening hero. But my my grandparents were um, gardeners and farmers. My great-grandmother owned a peanut farm in North Carolina, and, um, and then my grandfather um, was also a, a farmer and gardener. And so uh, my parents, um, they didn't live in Maryland at first, but then they traveled to Maryland. When they traveled to Maryland, um, because they were like gardeners and farmers too, um, they decided that they was going to get a corporate job when they um, came to Maryland. And so the whole gardening and farming thing kind of like went out the window. So they really didn't teach us um, anything until later on in life because they wanted this corporate job away from gardening and farming because that's all they did all their lives. Mm. Yeah, I noticed that a lot in people's um, generational families is that it might skip, um, you know, a generation or once you get away from the agricultural background and then you kind of lose some of that memory and what was passed down in the family. Yes, I agree. Totally. Were you able to visit your grandmother and uh, help her at her farm? Um, well, it was my great grandmother. Oh, my great, great grandmother. My great grandmother. She, yeah, we did. But so 
this is a crazy story, and this might sound funny. So my great-grandmother lived until she was about 117. So wow. when I was really young, I would go, we would travel down to her home in North Carolina. And I was scared of her because she was <laughs> old then. <laughs> so my siblings would want to stay, but I was supposed to stay. And so every time I would come, I would be like out in the fields with the peanuts um, and picking the peanuts and, and other um, vegetables that she was growing. And so I was always looking to see if my parents was leaving, you know, and I just kept an eye on it. I stayed close to the home. And so when I saw them leaving, I got up and ran and I was like, I'm not staying down here. Not with this lady. She's old. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And it was just crazy, you know. So, yeah, um, we would go all the time. Every summer, we would go and visit her. And like I said, she had a big peanut farm. We actually still own the property. And that property was built in like 1800s sometime. And um, it's a historical site now. And so the state maintains it. But we also still have a, um, a part in the property. So we can't sell it to any commercial realtors. But if we wanted to grow on there, uh, we could grow on it. Right now, our cousin is in charge of it right now. But they look into willed it to me because I'm such a, a farmer and gardener now. Mm, yeah, and that would be a great uh, legacy to pass on to have that land. Yes. Mm. So what are you growing in Maryland? And can you describe your garden and your gardening conditions? What I'm growing in Maryland. So my, my garden is kind of like, it's different, so to speak, because it is in my backyard. I consider myself a, a homesteader now. Um, but my garden sits around the perimeter of my yard. Instead of most folks have like garden that's separated out, but mine's kind of sit around the perimeter of my backyard. So I have about 10 or 12 garden boxes that go around the perimeter of the space and I'm growing everything from, well, it's summertime right now, um, tomatoes, peppers, eggplant, all your good summer vegetables, watermelons, um, cantaloupes. Um, I'm actually also growing pomegranates here in Maryland. So I'm really excited about that. It's, it was a lot on there early on, but I think the rain, cause it's been raining so bad here in Maryland that a couple of them got knocked off. Mm-hmm. But there's still like five or six left, and I'm so excited. I go out every day and check them, make sure that um, nothing has um, knocked them down. I got some netting bags over them now. And then I um, I also grow in the fall and the winter. Um, like I grow all year long now. Um, and then in the winter, I'm growing like my greens and my kale, my cauliflower um, and broccoli and things of that nature. So I'm really excited. I do have several fruit trees, too. I have a peach tree, plums, um, several plums. I have a persimmon tree. Um, oh, so I have an Asian pear tree. Not a regular pear tree, but an Asian pear tree. And I really love that. Um, cherries, tart cherries. I have tart cherries. And then I have something called an Arkansas black apple um, tree, which is um, an apple that almost appears to be black and i'm really excited about that one too mm -hmm. yeah i've i've tasted at a heirloom apple tasting the arkansas black and it's beautiful and tasty so good yeah 
And yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last year the squirrels did get to him, but this year I got. I'm ready. I've been. <laughs> well, that's why I was happy to hear about your pomegranate that you have put netting around your last few ones so you can at least get those before the creatures do. Yes. That would be nice. And so you're probably zone seven, almost leaning on zone eight. I do know some people in downtown Washington and in Northern Virginia who have small pomegranate trees and they're able to get some fruit at the end of the season too. Yes. I believe it's zone 7B or something like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's for most of our area, unless you're at a higher elevation or or closer to the water. So let's turn now to the topic of our episode, which is on mocktails and cocktails and, and other drinks from the garden. And so I'll start off by asking what your favorite thing to drink in the summer to cool off. It will be lemonade. Mm-hmm. But since we're talking about herbs and herb and mocktails i would say a lavender lemonade Hmm. and do you grow a lot of herbs in your own garden i do grow a lot of herbs so that's one of the reasons i decided to create a a herbal um, mocktail book because i have so many different herbs um in the yard but lavender is really one of my strongest that i can grow i have probably like several um lavender plants in the yard um, one, and they repel um, mosquitoes, so that's why I, I chose to put a lot of herbs in the yard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, I think it's a classic combination, the flavor of lemon with lavender together. It's always nice and refreshing. Yes, very and, good. Yeah, so that would be, <laughs> on the mocktail side, if you wanted to make it co- a cocktail, and probably any of the combinations we talk about today... Um, if you want to make them a cocktail or spike them, you could probably add either like a little bit of rum or a little bit of vodka or a little bit of gin, depending on your taste. I will probably do gin with the lavender lemonade. Hmm. Yeah, I think that would be a good combination. Although I'm, I'm kind of partial to rum myself. Yeah, maybe rum too. Definitely not vodka. I'm not a vodka person. <laughs> <laughs> either gin or rum will probably go good with those. Mm-hmm. There are some flavored vodkas that you could experiment with, like a vanilla vodka or, you know, some that have been infused. But yeah, for a clean taste, I agree. Yes. And so what's another combination that you're looking at for mocktail this season? So I am creating, well, I have created uh, uh, a mocktail ebook and so i have several drinks in there but one of my favorites i think my new favorite is thyme and blackberry mixed together with um like a sparkling water or soda water in it um i use thyme syrup instead of the blackberries as a syrup i make a syrup with the thyme and then i infuse it with um the blackberry juice and then put some sparkling water on there and you can't have a mocktail or cocktail without a, a cherry on the top so i always put a cherry on the top <laughs> <laughs> or you could yeah i was gonna say you could garnish with a blackberry too yeah well a blackberry and a cherry you know mm-hmm. people gotta see the cherry on there but one of the unique things about my herbal mocktail drinks is i'm putting liquid collagen in it um and people are really surprised because they don't really taste the liquid collagen but I am putting liquid collagen in all my drinks. And when the book come out, that's what's going to be in it. Um, the secret ingredient is liquid collagen. 
Does that change the texture at all since it's not changing the taste? No, it does not change mm -hmm. the the texture of it at all because it's a really water-based collagen. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty good, you know. And are you adding that for protein or why do you like to add that to yours? For skin, as we um we get older, our skin starts to sag and, and, and do things and wrinkles. So I'm thinking, oh, this is an instant Botox and a cocktail <laughs> mocktail drink that nobody knows. They just drinking it and all of a sudden their skin is just gonna get tighter. And and especially if you're losing weight, you wanna make sure you that you're taking your liquid collagen so that the skin won't you know, sag and it just tighten up. It's good for your hair. It's good for your skin, your eyes. Mm -hmm. And nails. And nails. Yep. I always say that if I had one superpower that I know of, which is a talent for growing long fingernails. <laughs> so I've, yeah. I've never needed extra collagen or, or, or protein or anything for that. But yeah, this will probably make them super strong. Super strong. Yeah. And so a lot of my... um my business um gardening and beat revolves around women so i was like let me take advantage of this you know women want to look good they want to have healthy nails like you said they they want radiant skin you know what i'm saying they want long hair so why not put some liquid collagen in it and as a guy you know you gotta we gotta start taking care of ourselves too you know what i'm saying you know and so mm -hmm. i have a a really um strong skin regimen that everything comes from the garden everything comes from the yard and so i create those those um skincare products as well and then i use them and test them out on me yeah self-care is important especially for gardeners who get exposed to a lot of the weather and the sun um and it could be really drying out there yes and so you were talking about in your blackberry is it thyme uh, that you were making a, a syrup with the thyme so for those listeners who have never made a simple syrup before and I'm going to say don't ever buy simple syrup in a bottle again this is so easy right you can anybody can make a simple syrup yes definitely I, I like you said I agree with you don't buy simple syrup just go and make your own and then infuse it with whatever you're growing in your yard if you're a gardener right and if you're not a gardener go to the store or um ask one of your neighbors who's growing a herb garden give me some of that rosemary and let me make a simple syrup with that rosemary a um, couple twigs of rosemary one cup of sugar whatever type of sugar you um like to use and then boil it down and there your simple syrup mm-hmm so usually it's a one-to-one -one ratio, like one cup sugar, one cup water. Yeah. Um, and then you just simmer it at a low boil for a little bit with whatever herb you want to infuse in it. And then you're going to take that twig out. Like you're not yes. going to serve it with that rosemary twig in there. No. <laughs> I mean, you could, but you yeah. You could, but no. Definitely no. take the rosemary twig out mm -hmm. and all the time out and, and strain it um, so you can have that simple syrup. Mm -hmm. Um and then you can put it, usually I say two weeks in a, you know, once you let it cool in a jar, put it in the refrigerator. Most books will say two weeks to use it, but I find it lasts a little bit longer than that. Yeah, if you if you put it in a, the, the fridge, um, it lasts longer. What I like to do is, as well is I have this mold. It's like a shot glass mold, mm -hmm. and I put it in there. And, and and freeze it and then when you want a little drink or something or a, a mocktail or cocktail you get the the shot glass and it's made of 
that simple syrup and it's you pour it in there and boom you have a little nice little drink mm-hmm. on a on a hot day yeah that's a great idea for any mocktail or cocktail is to have flavored ice that's not just watered down mm-hmm. watering your drink so if you put a little bit of the simple syrup or another herb maybe in the ice um that way you're adding more flavor and not you know adding a lot more water to the drink and then like i said my followers and my business uh, mostly women so i put the flowers in there too the edible flowers in the ice and that change that's a game changer right there Mm -hmm. yeah i like to do forage like the little light blue flowers Mm -hmm. and calendula what other edible flowers do you like for drinks nasturtiums Mm mm-hmm the um, the bright orange ones and the, the bright yellow ones. Yeah, I really like those. Oh, and then like the lavender, the mm-hmm. lavender um buds and put that in. Yeah, those are always pretty too. And they yeah. and they keep their color. I think the borage sometimes will turn kind of black. Like it might not look as appetizing. <laughs> <laughs> With the little blue flowers can can turn dark when they freeze in the ice, but still have a great flavor. Yes. Mhm. And I was going to say, that's another great thing to garnish with are edible flowers to just, just either rest them on the top or put them on the straw or a skewer. Um, just really pretty on a cocktail. Yeah. And, and like I said, the women really love that. And I tell some of my male friends, if you want to impress a lady, make her um, a cocktail with some flower ice. And they were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'll show you. I can show you. And um, and so I showed my, my male friends and I was like, that worked. That worked. Kamani is dropping all the secrets <laughs> for getting the ladies here. <laughs> and I'm sure for for a lady who wanted to serve a man or, you know, same sex partner as well, they would just be as appreciative. Yes, I yep. agree as well. Mm hmm. So let's talk about another drink from the garden. Um, what's next on your list? My One of my favorites is a mint cucumber and honey mm-hmm. um, drink mixed together. Um, and then you also add that, that sparkling water to it to give it that like fizz. So that's a hibiscus ginger sparkler. And it's hibiscus, honey, cucumber, and mint leaves all tied together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mint is so popular that you can muddle it, you know, kind of smush up the leaves in the bottom of a cup. But I'm going to drop one hint, Kamani. It's when I love mojitos. And when you go to a restaurant or a bar and order a mojito and the bartender has shredded the mint leaves and they come up, come up in your straw. That's a no-no. That's a no-no. <laughs> no, nobody <laughs> likes to have little tiny mint leaves in their teeth and in the stuck in the straw. So I'm like, just kind of crush them or muddle them if you're going to leave the whole leaves in there. But yeah, don't make yeah. them t- so tiny that they're going to come up the straw. For yeah. And it's and it's embarrassing if you have like mint leaves stuck in between your teeth and nobody tell you and you up in someone's face <laughs> talking and then you go and you walk past a mirror or something and you be like, Oh God, I got mint yeah. all in my teeth. Yeah. That's why you, you can use a strainer, you know, if you just want to infuse the leaves in the simple syrup, or you just can use a strainer before you pour the cocktail over the ice. Um, that helps too. That yeah, that hibiscus one sounds really good. Is that made with the hibiscus tea? Um uh, yeah, well it mm-hmm. 
the plant actually i'll grow hibiscus okay you know and then you know simmer that and it becomes a tea and then you fuse it all together mm-hmm. yeah because i've seen a lot of cocktails and mocktails used with the a base of the hibiscus tea so just using the tea bags themselves um for those people who don't can't source it from their own garden yeah and then you do the the ginger will be um the simple syrup i'll make my own ginger um simple syrup mm-hmm. yeah we recently had on the podcast susan belsinger talking about uh ginger and turmeric and she also recommended a really refreshing ginger drink and making your own ginger simple syrup um, and having that always on hand, whether, you know, it's wintertime or summertime. Yes. I love simple. I love making simple syrup because I have, I got cherries um, in the yard. I make a cherry um, simple syrup. I have plums. I haven't attempted to make a a plum um, simple syrup. Not my favorite, but <laughs> I did it. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about I was like, I have never heard of a plum simple syrup. That might be a little bit of a, a light flavor. But I can imagine that the plum juice, like if you were to juice them and to add that to a cocktail, that might be nice. Yes. So I have these, I think they're like, they're green, but they turn like a purple plum. I'm not sure the name of it. But um, they're really good. I did make a a plum um jam, but I said, "Oh, I'm gonna juice these or make a simple syrup with it and see what it was." It wasn't my favorite, but I get a kick out of seeing the birds in my yard um eat the plums, um the ones that fall on the ground and that's very fermented because mm-hmm. they stumble <laughs> <laughs> out of the yard. They're like. That's crazy. I like to watch them. I have one of those bird houses that got a camera in it and you can see them like bump up against the wall and stuff because they done um, ate the fermented plums. <laughs> that's that's true for a lot of the fruits that birds are attracted to that, you know, once they start to get to that fermented stage, it's um, that's when they really like them. <laughs> And berries too. Same oh, thing yeah. with the berries. Um, so speaking of fermenting, do you do any drinks that are fermented? I am working on a drink that's fermented. It's going to be a peach beer because my peach tree is so loaded this year. I'm going to make a peach beer. I have hops as well growing in the yard. So I'm going to get creative and um, ferment this and see what happens. But I did attempt to do a pineapple kombucha one year and that was deadly. <laughs> hmm. So let's, for those who have never tried kombucha, um, it's a fermented, it's mildly fermented, but not alcoholic drink. Yes. So it's kind of between a soda and, you know, a flat a flat juice so yes. you're kind of going in between there and is it fermented with yeast or um something is in there that's making it bubble for you so it's a, a light fermentation yeah it was a light fermentation i just didn't know when to open it so i did a pineapple uh a co-worker gave me a mushroom to put in it because she creates her own kombucha and i was like i've been buying kombucha for so long i was like Oh, we can make this at home. And she's like, yeah, you can make it. I'll give you this mushroom starter. And you put it in the thing and then you can infuse it with whatever um, fruit you like. And I love pineapples and strawberries. So I was like, I'm going to do a pineapple. And I chopped this pineapple up and I follow her rules. And But she didn't tell me when to open it. So I left it for like almost a year. 
Oh, wow. And so when I went to open it, it literally blew up. (laughs) And it was like only like maybe maybe a half a cup left after it just exploded and it came out the jar. And I was like, wow, I'm never doing this again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I hear mixed results with homemade kombucha. So once, once you get a batch started though, I think you can keep using that as your starter batch and, you know, add a little bit to another juice and keep that going. So yeah, I'm going to um toy with this peach beer. All of a sudden now that I've been mentioning, I'm going to make this peach beer. I've seen people now have peach beer they serving in and i was like oh i need my credit for that mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of fruit beers that you see now you know aside from hard ciders that are being offered more and more but the fruit infused beer flavors are becoming really popular so yeah i have a lot of beer drinkers at my part-time job so i was like i'm gonna have some samples for you very soon <laughs> <laughs> and let's talk about the, the hops for a little bit. So hops vine, um, if somebody has never grown it, it can be a bit of a monster. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. So I went to one of the local um, grocery stores, right? And I saw it said hops. I didn't know what hops was at the time. It was $2. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get it and see what it does. It's only $2 if it dies because it looked like it was dying already. I was like, I didn't lose any money because it was $2. So I decided I'm going to put it in the yard, right? I didn't research it. I didn't think about it. I just took it, took it out the pot and put it in the ground. And I, um, I, it said it was going to be viney. So I got a trellis, right? Uh, maybe a six-foot trellis. And then... That year, it didn't do anything. I was like, well, I guess it's dead. You know, the next year, it came back like a vengeance. Mm-hmm. It was like crazy. It went over the six-foot trellis. Um, It was just everywhere. I have a six-foot fence as well in my yard. It went underneath the fence somehow and got into my neighbor's yard. It is like so crazy. So this past fall, when it got cold and, and, and it died back, um, I went out there and I kind of like dug up most of it where I can dig up and, and put it in a pot to try to contain it because it was out of control. Mm-hmm. I think most times when I see it grown at like a brewery or somewhere, they have it on 20 foot trellises because they know this is going to be <laughs> really tall and it has kind of a prickly this to the vine too so I want to warn people out there that if they do grow it think about like kind of not as prickly or jabby as a raspberry bush but you know still not great to to have your arm rub against it um oh, so you yeah. probably want to keep it a little bit separate for from a pathway or something yeah because when I go to it I do put like a long sleeve shirt on because it's kind of itchy like too when you rub against the leaves as well but I do have a probably like a 10 foot trellis now and I just let it grow and it looks so beautiful um during the summer months it's almost acts as a privacy um screen as well and so yeah I just had to get it out of the ground as much and then I sent you several cuttings and and roots um to several people I know they was like I want to grow it I want to grow it I was like I got it for you Mm-hmm. be warned yeah. though that's what i guess <laughs> yes. be warned and yeah so it's a it's a very ornamental vine and there's a golden version that's kind of like a chartreuse color leaf that's really pretty 
Um, I'm not sure if the golden version you would use for culinary purposes, though, but um, definitely the, the regular hops. You can collect the hops and make some bitters from those. And do you like some of the bitter flavors like hops? I do. I mean, I'm one, I like a bitterness anyway. And so if it's, if, if it's not bitter, it has to be hot. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I like the bitterness of it. Um, and do you use, since you say you like hot, do you mean like hot peppers, like a fish pepper? Like, a, yeah, a ghost pepper, a jalapeno pepper. Um, I did um, recently had a, a beekeeping class. And so I wanted to get the press out to it. So I was like, I got to get something to really get them in. So I call, I made a drink called the sting, which was just lemonade and jalapenos. And Oof. they was like, we're coming, we coming just for the sting. And, you know, <laughs> so when the news reporter showed up, I was like, you got to try to sting. Cause you know, that was the, that's how I got them there. And they was like, this is really, really good. Well, surprisingly, cause it was a kid workshop. Um, the kids really love the they love the spiciness of it. And I also taught a um kids workshop. We were growing lettuce and um the lettuce that I had was arugula. So you know how arugula has a little spiciness to it. And mm-hmm. so when we did the the demo with the kids and they got the plant of dirt and I gave them lettuce seeds, they were all mad because they didn't get any of the arugula seeds, they got regular lettuce because the parents was like, We don't know if they want spiciness. And so, yeah, that was crazy. Hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, kids can have an adventurous palate sometimes. And they, they might, you know, Sour Patch Kids are in. They like the really sour, like, wood sorrel type yep. flavors. They will chew on those leaves um, if you give them to them, those lemony type. So I can see them liking a, a little bit of a kick in their lemonade. Yeah, and I was, I was really shocked. So, yes. Mm. Yeah, I've heard of... Um, uh, pepper, hot peppers used like in tequila drinks. Oh yeah, uh, to counter those, but they're definitely not to my taste. That's a little bit much <laughs> for me. I, I yeah, would like your stomach is on fire after that. Definitely on fire, but I I like the hotness in the tequila and like I said, the lemonade. I do do some margaritas with um um ghost pepper. Um, wow. just a ta- just a tag of um of ghost pepper, and people seem to like it. Um, yeah, yeah, I could see they would like that one. And how about uh, any with like uh, cream or milk infusions in them? Do you do any with dairy? With hot peppers and dairy? No, just any cocktails or mocktails. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, coconut milk and and all of those same drinks like a lavender lemonade, and then you you put a spin on it and you put a coconut milk in it to give it like a milky, um, almost like a shake type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like those as well. My favorite is, um, it's passion fruit and, um, and coconut milk and, and mixing those two together and mm. then some rum in that. And that's really good. Yeah. That sounds really good. That sounds yeah. like, um, almost like those Mai Tai drinks, but with a little bit of cream to it mm-hmm. or, yep. um, pina colada type things yeah almost like a pina colada with a with a passion fruit in it and then you have the rum and then you know i put the i make a simple syrup with the the um passion fruit as well and then i keep it kind of seedy and so you i'll mix it with the seeds and then put whipped cream and all that stuff on it is really really good so i grow passion fruit too in the yard as well 
yeah, I would like to see the passion fruit tree. Those are not not common in the Mid Atlantic area. Yes, well, last year was my first time I got fruit, um, and so I had to hand pollinate all of the um, blooms. But mm-hmm. that was like a lesson for me. I wanted to, you know, see how that goes. I did it, and like two days later, there was like fruit forming. I was like, wow, I did that. Mm. And speaking of locally grown fruits, have you tried anything with the pawpaw? I haven't made a drink with pawpaw, but I have made pawpaw um, ice cream mm-hmm. um, with coconut milk again, and then pawpaw and a little bit of vanilla, um, just three ingredients, and mm-hmm. it came out really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like the taste of pawpaw because it already takes on that mango banana taste feeling just need a little sweetener just a little bit yeah somebody i know had made a uh pawpaw slushies and i think there was rum in the base i I can't recall which alcohol they used it would definitely have to be rum yeah (laughs) i think that's what it was in there and they were and she sealed them in like you know those mr freezy tubes okay so she had a little homemaker thing that she could use and do these little plastic tubes and have them frozen so that was an interesting way to have a drink on a hot summer day yeah that sounds Um, really good i mean i plan to go papa hunting um sometime this year mm -hmm. and um see what i can find and see what kind of recipes i can come with with i want to see if i can make that slushy now you my interest (laughs) i'll see if we can find that recipe from her Mm -hmm. um so let's talk about um, maybe some hot drinks at not as in hot and spicy but serve warm do you have any of those in your recipes oh just like well one i do this hot apple pie smoothie and people was like hot apple pie smoothie um yeah so that's just like green apples um oaks and um, a little bit of milk, and then you you um, cook it down, and then you make it into a smoothie. But it's like nice and warm for the winter time. Um, but my favorite is ginger, um, ginger oranges, and lemons and honey together with a little bit of rum. That's mm. my that's my go to um, in the winter time um, with a little bit of cinnamon on top or a cinnamon stick. Mm-hmm. That sounds like it's really healthy too, especially in the winter time with all the colds and stuff. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so for the apple pie smoothie, you're doing like a steel cut oats or just regular yeah. oats? Um, you can do steel oats. I did I believe I did I use steel oats and then like a couple apples, a couple cinnamon, and then some milk. And I put it in the um I have one of those blenders that can make it hot when you do it. Um and so I put it in there and it, it smoothed out really good. I put a little bit of kale in there as well. And um, yeah, it was really, really good. I took it to work and I had folks try it and they really liked it. Hmm. I can imagine. They were probably <laughs> asking for more. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we need to stay hydrated, uh, especially this time of year out in the garden, I'm thinking about water infusions, like just something you add to water. And I like to do just a couple of slices of cucumber, just the straight raw cucumber. Are there any water combinations that you like to do? I definitely like the cucumber and, and water, and but I add a piece of lemon um, to that. Um, I think one of my favorites is just like getting the berries, the strawberries and the um the blueberries 
and blackberries and mixing those with water. And we talked about mojitos earlier. Um, I have a strawberry mint and then take a couple pieces of strawberry mint and put that in the water as well. I really like that. Hmm. And how do you keep it, them from getting too mushy? Because sometimes the strawberry can be like a kind of like, mm, you know, texture in there. Mm, I just slice it once, slice mm-hmm. it in half and just drop it in there. Okay, um, the whole fruit. Yeah, the whole fruit. Just mm-hmm. slice it enough so where the flavors can come out, but I don't like mush it down or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned strawberry mint. That does bring up, there are so many types of mints out there, and I don't think a lot of people are aware of that and it's really hard to get certain mints certain flavors are hard to source um, and mints are very hard to start from seed so you really need just to get a cutting or a started plant from somebody else so mint is often passed along um, there's a specific type of mint that you might be looking for like an orange mint or I had this um, Kentucky mint that was specifically made for uh, you know, their mint drinks, the mint juleps, and it was like a dark blue mint almost. Oh, wow. So that one, I keep that in a separate pot because I don't ever want that to go away. I want that mint. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I've only been able to source that in one place. Um, I also have a variegated mint. It has like white striping to it. So it's really pretty mint, but it's got, you know, your classic mint flavor to it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big lover of mint. This strawberry mint came from a local um, nursery, and I was surprised when I saw it said strawberry, and I was like, okay, I'm getting this. And so it, it came back this year, and so I really love the strawberry mint. But I also do like a glass of water and basil in it, and I have my love of cinnamon um, basil now, and um, that's really, really good. So... Mm-hmm. glass of ice water and a couple um cinnamon basil leaves in it yeah that also is true so much of the different flavors of basil i love mrs burns lemon basil do you know that variety yes that one's very popular um and that's you probably wouldn't make a pesto with it but great in a drink <laughs> just for a little bit of lemon basil flavor in there and then there's thai basil um, the cinnamon basil you mentioned, holy basil, the Tulsi. Do you make any drinks using the holy basil? Um, I love holy basil. That's one of my favorites, but I haven't made any drinks with that. Now, the Thai basil I have, just Thai basil and a little gin and mm-hmm. um, and ginger ale with it. <laughs> that would be a great combination with the ginger ale. Yeah, the, the holy basil or Tulsi. I think it's definitely an acquired taste. Like I know it's made into a hot tea for um, healing purposes in India, but I'm not sure about the cocktail use of it. Yeah. And that cocktail would definitely make a tea with it. I do infuse it with oil and then, you know, I'll take that as a teaspoon um, in the winter time for health benefits, but never like made a drink with it. Mm-hmm. I think because it, it's kind of more on the oregano end of the flavoring, yeah. Um, than the than the mint end of the flavoring, or the basil, or the basil and the sweet end. And so you're like, I don't know if people add honey to it. I would imagine something to sweeten it a little bit. I ooh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when you yeah. when you said oregano, I was like, oh mm-hmm. no, I have some oregano yeah. oregano drops that I take too, and I was like 
I dread taking that in the wintertime. <laughs> but it's really good for you. And I was like, Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes you have to take your medicine. Um, so any other favorite uh, cocktails or mocktails that you're working on? Rosemary and grapefruit. Mm-hmm. And so I did a taste test um, with my book just to see what might work, what might not work. And the rosemary grapefruit infused um, was one of the ones that people love. Um, and it was the, instead of infusing like the, or making the, the fruit or um, the simple syrup, I'll always go with the herb first. So I made a rosemary simple syrup and then I infused it with grapefruit juice. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. And then maybe adding some sparkling yes. to it. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I would say to lighten yeah. it a little bit. Yeah, lighten it a little bit. Yeah. And then, of course, um, put that cherry on top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, I, I've got this jar of maraschino cherries right here. <laughs> All right. So how can our listeners contact you uh, or find out more information? For more information, they can go to my website, um, which is gardeningandbeats.com. I'm also on Instagram under gardeningandbeats. And then if you want to reach out to me by email, gardeningandbeats at gmail.com or info at gardeningandbeats.com. Um, hmm. Super easy to find you on the internet. Yes. And we'll include those links in the show notes as well. Um, and so for our last few minutes together, I want to ask you a little bit about the other things you offer. So you're working on the, you have the ebook of mocktails and cocktails and you do garden coaching and you said you're now, um, helping with beekeeping classes. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do you have planned for the future? Um, for the future, I am, um, starting a nonprofit, um, it's going to be melanated, Earthlings Explorers, and basically that's going to be a whole um, farming and gardening um, workshops and classes and camps geared towards kids, younger kids, between the ages of three to maybe 15. And so that's what I'm working on now as well. Three, you are very brave to have three year olds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> out in the garden, especially. Well, a funny story before we get out of here, I did have a beekeeping class. And um, so I work by daycare. And so the young lady was like, can I bring my daughter? I was like, sure. She was like, it's three to five now. She's like, oh, yeah, she's definitely three, you know. And then that happened when the press came out. They picked this young lady and her daughter and her daughter. You know how kids are. They they are truly real. She told the reporter she was two years old. And then... (laughs) I didn't see the article until it came out and then it was like reading and we talked to the, the youngest um, at the event and she's two years old. And I was, uh, I texted her mom. I was like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> but it was really cute um, to know that a two year old really wanted to be there and wasn't scared of the bees. And so mm-hmm. that was the whole goal. Yep. And I could see there are some more mature two year olds out there that, you know, can be more mature than some three-year-olds i think yes Hmm. well it's great that you're reaching out to work with the youth and introducing them to gardening and getting them used to being around bees because there are so many kids these days who you know don't have any real contact with nature 
Yes. And so that's what the Melanated Earthlings Explorer. If you listen to the name Earthlings Explorer, um, and that would be the nonprofit, you can kind of see mm, this is going to be a nature based um, project. And so, yeah, I'm really, really excited about that, um, building um, this nonprofit up and, and helping young people explore the world of gardening and, and nature together. Wonderful. Well, I wish you great success with that. Um, any final thoughts for our listeners? Go make you a mocktail. Get you some lavender um, and get you some, make you some lemonade and infuse the two together. Add your collagen. Oh, and then dye it purple with um, some sweet potato, um, mm. purple sweet potato um, flour. So that's how I kind of use, I dye some in my drinks and I dye them with um ingredients that come out the yard as well so with the um the lavender lemonade to make it more purple i'll take a uh, purple sweet potato and that i done cut up and chopped up dehydrated and grind it up into a um a powder and use a little bit of that to tint it um purple sometimes it come out hot pink but if mm-hmm. i do it right um it comes out purple mm, sounds beautiful either way <laughs> yes thank you so much kimani Thank you so much. I really had a great time. Yeah, get out there and get a mocktail. Shasta daisy, plant profile. Shasta daisy, Leucanthemum cross superbum, is a perennial plant with a classic white daisy flower and yellow center. It was bred by American horticulturist Luther Burbank from the oxeye daisy, English field daisy, and Portuguese field daisy. He intended this hybrid to be an easy care plant combining the best traits of these three wild daisy species. It is named after the snowy Mount Shasta in Northern California. It is hardy to USDA zones five to nine and blooms in spring and summer. If you deadhead the first set of the flowers when they start to fade, you can often get good reblooming into early fall. Plant it in full sun to part sun and in well-draining soils. Regularly fertilize it with compost or a slow-release pellet fertilizer. Note that it is a short-lived perennial, so will need replacing after a few years. You should divide the plant in the early springtime every couple of years to prolong the life of it. It is a good pollinator plant and also makes a sturdy cut flower. It is said to be deer and rabbit resistant. The many Shasta Daisy cultivars available include those with double rows of flowers, pale yellow flowers, and shorter dwarf versions. Shasta Daisy, you can grow that. new in the garden this week? Well, in my home garden, I'm experiencing a weird mid to late summer period of reblooming from some of my shrubs, and that includes the St. John's wort, Wygela, and some of the lilacs. So it's an odd thing to happen, but not unwelcome. I'm enjoying those blooms. Over at the community garden, it is bustling along. It is that heat and rain we've been getting finally so we are 
having prolific harvests and my cucamelon has surfaced. The vine that I planted a few years ago has come back again and I've supported it on a little trellis and hope to have little cucamelons to eat by the end of September. In the local gardening world, some events that you might want to attend include the annual Boxwood Symposium, and this is from September 21st to 22nd in Pottersville, New Jersey. You can go to the AmericanBoxwoodSociety.org website to find out more, to register. The fees range from uh, one day only, $250, up to $500, depending on how many days and what you attend. That two-day symposium is followed by the Sustainable Flowers Project 2023, a three-day intensive hands-on and creative workshop with some of the biggest leaders in sustainable floristry today at Jardin du Bois in New Jersey, September 24th, 25th, and 26th. So some people might want to attend both the Boxwood Symposium and then stay for the Flowers Project. And if they stay for that second one, they'll need to go to prairiegirlflowers.com backslash workshop to find out more. Over at Longwood Gardens in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, they are getting ready for their annual Chrysanthemum Festival. That takes place September 30th to November 12th. And that is from the tiny pom-pom little miniature mums all the way up to those giant big mums. And they're beautiful to see. It's quite an art form. And so you can go to longwoodgardens.org to pre-purchase your day pass and parking and tickets and everything and be set for that. Happy gardening! Get low-maintenance alternative to lawns with the new book, Ground Cover Revolution, by Kathy Jentz. Reducing the lawn is among the biggest trends in home ownership, with an endless stream of homeowners looking for an eco-friendly alternative to a traditional, everyday grass lawn. In the last few years alone, over 23 million American adults converted part of the lawn to a natural landscape, and now are looking to do even more. The biggest challenge to adopting this new ideal of the perfect lawn is knowing how and when to replace your turf and which plants are the best ones for the job. Ground Cover Revolution is here with all the answers you need. Included are 40 in-depth profiles of plants that are perfect choices for replacing a grass lawn. There are options for sun, for shade, for dry and wet sites, and for various climates around the globe. There are choices that bloom, options that are evergreen, and selections that are deer resistant. Author Kathy Jens has also included an incredibly useful chart that gives you all the details on each of the 40 choices for quick reference and to make your ground cover selection process even easier. Whether you want to replace the entire lawn or just reduce the amount of land dedicated to turf, Ground Cover Revolution will help you usher in a new and improved idea of what a beautiful lawn should be. Available at bookstores now and also at Quarto.com, where you can get 30% off using discount code GARDENING30. In the new book, The Urban Garden by Kathy Jensen Terry Spade, you'll find dozens of inspiring and creative ways to grow flowers, shrubs, vegetables, herbs, and other plants in small spaces and with a limited budget. Whether you want to grow on a balcony, rooftop, front stoop, or a tiny urban patio, turn your growing dreams into reality and build a gorgeous and unique garden that showcases your personal style while still being functional and productive. With the ingenious ideas and resourceful tactics found here, you'll be maximizing yields and beauty from every square inch of your space while also making a lush outdoor living area 
area you'll crave spending time in. Whether you're growing edible plants or beautiful flowers, the 101 amazing growing ideas found in the urban garden turn your tiny urban yard into a treasure trove of green you'll be proud to share with family and friends. Buy your copy today at your local retail bookseller or order it online now at amazon.com or bookshop.org. This is the last word on Grow Houseplants Anywhere by Teresa Watkins. Plants have always been on the move. Nearly 500 million years ago, plants moved out of the ocean and onto land. Since then, plants have been transported all over the world, from jungles and deserts, ships to farms, to our yards and homes, and even outer space. There are houseplants for every sunlight condition and living space. According to a 2002 research study, from the Center for Health Systems and Design Colleges of Architecture and Medicine at Texas A&M University, indoor plants can help patients in hospitals heal faster. Adding houseplants to your life helps reduce stress and anxiety, control humidity, and cool the air. Houseplants can breathe life into offices, apartments, and patios. More good news is that houseplants provide the caretaker emotional health benefits that result in a positive outlook on life. Houseplants is a birthday, congratulations, or a welcome gift, or just because you're you surprise, can brighten the day. Indoor plants as a gift can help someone through a difficult situation. Yes, houseplants can do that. A brilliant move in these uncertain times. This is the last word. On Grow Houseplants Anywhere, I'm Teresa Watkins, landscape designer and host of Better Lawns and Gardens, heard wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.